Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around The podcast that bombs harder than a World War II era courgette Brought to you by Panda Pops The weaponised soft drink from the 90s is back Ready to terrorise your playground <laughs> Oh, Miss Panda Pops yeah, um, they did. They tasted rubbish. Yeah, but you know they're a great weapon. You could just they were. Uh, for ten pence, everyone could afford to soak their classmates. Ten pence? I believe there were ten pence. We must have suffered from some of these. We must have suffered from some of that southern tax. Oh yeah, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the panda pops that have been brought back um, are, I believe, they're about seventy-five pence. So today's Jesus. today's kids are going to have to be, you know, pretty. Frugal in their bombing. Yeah, frugal. They're going to have to pick the targets hard. I mean, back in the day, you could just soak anybody you wanted. You could just get ten panda pops for a quid and just go mental. Just throw them around in a big circle. I wonder what percentage of those panda pops were actually drunk, as opposed to weaponized. I would say about 50%. I think you're being generous there. Uh... <laughs> okay. I'll tell you one thing about panda pops. What? There's, there's more of them in the northeast than there are Tory MPs. Oh, oh, biting political commentary. <laughs> uh, this isn't news night, Michael. You know, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> um, on the on the courgette note, some of you might have been wondering what the hell that was about. A hilarious news story where um, German police have found a World War Two bomb was actually a big courgette. No joke. Um, wow. There's a picture following it, which, in my opinion, looks pretty clearly like a big courgette. But um, the the tagline for the picture is police agreed with the elderly man that the vegetable looked like a bomb. Um, I don't agree with the police or the elderly man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks like a giant courgette. <laughs> Although to be fair, I am um, I didn't realise courgettes could be five kilograms big. So wow. I suppose that bit surprising. I'll tell you what, so, yeah, that a genuine story. I'd rather be in that position than be about to tuck into a courgette and find out it was a bomb. <laughs> Yeah, that would be worse. Michael, who who are you kidding? At what point are you going to be about to suck into a courgette? Never, and now I've got the perfect excuse. Could be a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that Stuart Lee joke about spiralised courgettes. Brilliant. (laughs) I've uh, I've alienated half the audience with (laughs) spiralizer. And the other half with courgette. What the fuck's a (laughs) courgette? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Anyway... So uh, we don't even know who's hosting this. Al, do you want to host? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll be hosting, yeah. Uh, you're here for music episode 22. Yeah, that's right. We actually know this time. Um, <laughs> much don't, debate. Don't ask about the missing episode 16, though. Um, <laughs> Clive will come and hit you. Uh, yeah. Face. I mean, it's currently locked down at GCHQ. You know, uh, far too far too insidi- in, insidiary. It was, we pretty much predicted the outcome insidiary. of the world and... Uh, yeah, Trump wasn't having it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm here with music expert Clive Fisher. Hey, hey. And music expert Michael Johnson. I'll read. Um, the, the other music expert who's coming on this programme, James Cable, is missing. Um, I believe he's fraternising with other friends, therefore he's banned. Um, yeah, he's dead been to us. Yeah. Dropped from the pod. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, he might, he might be back next time. 
depends how much he decides to bribe us with. Um, <laughs> let, let's get this going. A few uh, panda pops will do. Let's go to um, one of my favourite places to make a noise about, Eagle's Gift. <laughs> Michael Johnson, what an, have you got for us? Is that an eagle, is it? Well, we decided last time that that was the noise an eagle makes. Like, Didn't you say it was some of the noise that the gate makes when you come in or something? Well, no, it is literally, yeah. I mean, it, Oh, right. It sounds like the Philadelphia Eagles touchdown thing, so you've done a good job. Well, exactly, yeah. Well oh, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well done. Um, I'll see if I can follow that. Um, so I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be talking about anything very new today, I must admit. Um, so I'm just going to talk about some albums that I've listened to recently um, for the first time in a little bit. Um, this one, this first one in quite a while. So I think I've probably mentioned them once or twice on the cast before, um, but I don't think I've ever spoken at length about them. But arguably, on balance, thought about this a lot over over time, but I would say uh, Tool, the American rock slash metal band, are perhaps my favourite band. Uh, it's difficult Ooh. It's difficult to call them um, favourite band as if they're um, still active, because even though they are, and they do tour regularly, they haven't released any new material for 11 years now. But they're a band whose um, aesthetic I buy into entirely. Um, I love all of their four albums, and the fact that they've only released four means that obviously they've kept a very tight control on the quality of the material that they put out there. Uh, so an album that I listened to uh, just this week for the first time in a while... <clears throat> to me, it's a pure classic, um, a 10 out of 10 album. Um, their 1996 album, Enema. Not sure about the um, pronunciation of it exactly. Uh, but basically, Tool emerged in the early 90s, and um, about five years later, a couple of albums later, they were one of the leading acts in the alternative metal movement <clears throat> over in the US, where they still regularly tour arenas, headline festivals... Um, and a, a lot more popular than a lot of people, I think, realise. Um, this particular album, it is, um, it's, an, it's an overused word, but it is very much an epic. Uh, clocks, in, clocks in at around 78 minutes, consists of 15 tracks, some of which are skits, but even some of those are very listenable, as I'll, uh, as I'll come to. They have, uh, I mean, th- this album and some of their other albums are regularly voted as um, among the greatest albums for guitar playing and drumming. Uh, of all time, and there is a very high level of musicianship at work within the band. Uh, There's a perfect alchemy between the guitar playing of uh, Adam Jones, who is um, basically the, uh, the, I would say, the creative leader of the band. I think it was um, popularised the use of claymation, I think, in in, um, music videos with some of Till's earliest videos, uh, for example and works in um, in that sort of area with the, crea- the creative direction of the band beyond the music uh, to a great extent. Uh, and also the drummer Danny Carey, who is um, widely regarded as one of the, uh, you know, one of the finest drummers out there still. So the whole music, all the musical aspects of the band interlock perfectly. Maynard James Keenan is, um, he's got a very unique voice that was very influential on um, on a lot of vocalists within new metal, I think in particular. Uh, the the band's sound as a whole is just so atmospheric. Um, it's quite difficult to describe in a way, but um, hugely influential influential within alternative metal and especially within post metal, which I think I've spoke spoken about quite a lot on earlier podcasts, especially, uh, and which is one of my favourite subgenres. 
I might as well mention the uh, the fourth member of the band. From this album um, onwards, at least, the bass guitarist, uh, Justin Chancellor, who is, uh, I would say, my favourite Durham University alumni. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, quite uh, quite crazy that he ends up playing um, bass in such a, a huge band. But um, that's what what happened. I would say his bass sound, because of the fact that it's part of Tool, has also been um, very influential. But I'm just I mean I'm going to run through some of the uh, the features of the album that I think make it what it is. Uh, the album starts off, and um, I mean straight away the riffs that Jones writes have. Um, I mean this the general style of his playing is. Um, it, it it just it fits uh, the rhythm section so perfectly. I think it's it's very precise, like clockwork. Um, the very crunchy sound to a lot of his riffs. Um, I think they sound deceptively simple at times, but um, uh, I'm, or anything but. Uh, it's very progressive, uh, progressive in style. And in terms of the the more crescendos to um, the sort of end tracks or might back up the choruses they have a really aerodynamic quality to the, to the guitar sound I would say um, they're very exhilarating they feel almost like riding roller coasters is the only way I can really describe it uh, and the first track starts off in that fashion uh, Stink Fist which uses um, a metaphor of fisting in its chorus so yeah I think that's a pretty, pretty uh, clear idea of the sort of thing that the band um, isn't afraid to explore in terms of uh, the imagery they use. Uh, and then dart, dart straight into a second track, Eulogy, which is a nine-minute um, sarcastic eulogy of um, the Scientology founder, L. Ron Hubbard. So um, I mean, the band, I think you can tell from over time their, uh, their photo shoots, um, the way they behave in relation to the media, they've been very insistent on maintaining their privacy and have also been, um, at the same time, highly opposed to any forms of censorship. Uh, they have a very clear character as a band and um, I think that's the sort of thing that really shines through to some of the lyrics and the ideas behind the songs on this particular album. Later albums move more towards ideas of spirituality and personal development. Um, but this one, I think, tackles subjects more specifically and in a very interesting fashion. Uh, the track 46 and 2, for example, is about um, scientific theories of the human body developing additional chromosomes beyond its usual 46. So there is a real diversity of subject matter uh, behind some of the tracks. Uh, probably the most, um, I would say the most commercially accessible track probably is um, ironically titled Hooker with a Penis. And that is, I would say, a, a really storming um, desert grunge, stoner rock style track, which um, responds to a fan accusing the band of selling out um, in in highly um, sarcastic fashion, uh, and this sort of angry parody style of uh, lyricism is something that I really like. Uh, so I really, really think the lyrics to this track are, uh, are great in that sense. I think this is exactly it. It sort of fits the idea that um, this is exactly why if I was writing Game of Thrones, or exactly why I wouldn't be able to write Game of Thrones. Because if, <laughs> if I had been um, subjected to the criticism about um, time hopping that the writers were in the previous season, then one of the final episodes next year, or whatever it is, would just consist of an hour of Jon Snow asleep in bed. Um, <laughs> and I think this, uh, the lyrics of this track are um, 
in response to accusations of selling out are um, equally uh, ridiculous almost, but just um, I don't, I don't, just the anger behind it is um, something that really makes me smile every time I listen to the track. I think the uh, the vocal, Keenan's vocals um, mirror the song structures. I, th- I mentioned that the, the tracks are, on this album, this album as a whole, is definitely very influential to post-metal specifically, um, and the tracks tend to build in that style. Uh, and as I mentioned crescendos earlier, very much um, similar to post-rock, obviously, in that sense. And um, Keenan's vocals and um, the, the structures of the of the vocals in verses throughout the album are quite freeform, and they tend to, after, after the, the verse-chorus, verse-chorus section, tend to then uh, build to a final section of some sort. Uh, which is completely different, so it really keeps the songs, which are largely quite long, uh, very varied and very much um, mirrors the uh, the music, which, especially on the track Push It, which is um, one of the lengthiest tracks on the album, really builds up to a startling conclusion. I think also the album, um, it, the title track, or it's not quite the title track because it's spelled slightly differently, um, but that is, I would say, one of the best tracks, standalone tracks of the 1990s, and again, what probably one of the most influential tracks on post metal um, ever recorded, I would say. The album is dedicated to Bill Hicks, who Tool considered uh, basically a kindred creative spirit when they emerged in the 90s, uh, who had passed away by the time of this album's release. And um, the title track, or not quite title track, as I mentioned, is, um, is based on um, Hicks' routine, Arizona Bear routine, where he. Um, he actually wishes for uh, the big one to strike and uh, wash Los Angeles away into the sea. Uh, so that makes up the um, the subject matter of um, of this track, which takes aim at um, wannabe gangsters, um, the Hollywood industry, a lot of the things that you would typically associate stereotypically with LA and Hollywood. Um, and I mean, as I said, the sort of the the contrast between the penultimate section of the track, which I think is a really gorgeous, slow-burning section, and then the um, the crushing finale to it is a perfect encapsulation of what makes Tool uh, such a great band on this album and otherwise. And then the final track is um, the, the longest on the album, Third Eye. That opens with some samples of Bill Hicks's work, is unmistakably dedicated to him, and is basically... Uh, um, progressive workout doesn't quite contain as many um, hooks, I would say, melodically and rhythmically as some of the other tracks, uh, but basically brings the album to an appropriately titanic ending. Uh, so that that's a, a sort of summary of um, most of the tracks. Some of the skits, for example, I think again showcase the more, the playful side that Tool have have always had as an aspect of um, of what makes them. One of them is um, basically an industrial soundscape. Uh, it features um, someone uh, speaking in German, built, uh, which builds to a more and more aggressive um, tone and features um, sort of crowd vocals dubbed underneath. I think very much intended to give the impression of a militant rally of some sort, but in, in actual fact the, um, the lyrics are a cannabis recipe, apparently. <laughs> um, so you know the troll game was um, was strong with Tool well before um, well before the internet truly flourished in that sense. And there's also a quite bizarre skit, uh, which is um, a message, 
of an Italian man who apparently crashed a party that the band were at and then left um, what you can hear from the, from the track is a very hateful, um, threatening message on the answer phone afterwards. Um, but it's, underneath it is played a quite beautiful guitar, um, sorry, piano riff. Um, so I always, I ne it's never a track that I, f I skip that I feel the need to skip when I listen to the album. I feel it adds to the atmosphere just as effectively as some of the actual tracks. Some of the uh, skits are pretty throwaway. Uh, most of them are quite short, though. But that's uh, that's basically everything um, I've got to cover about an album that I would say is. Um, but as I say, one of my favourites from the nineteen nineties. It's certainly a jewel in the crown of a band that are arguably my very favourite. And um, every time I go back to it, I find it just as thrilling. So. Um, if any, anyone who hasn't heard it and is interested in that area of uh, of music, and I would say it's very accessible for um, anything that can be described as metal, certainly, which is explained by the popularity that Tool have enjoyed, despite the fact that they haven't. I mean, they don't even allow their performances to be televised in any sense. So there, there is um, is a sort of um, you know a cult following that they have, but it's a large one, and um, I would recommend all of the albums, but this one is arguably my favourite. Right, excellent. Cool. Uh, uh, Clive, are you a are you a tool? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, oh no, sorry. Are I'm you not, a fan of I'm tool? I am a tool, <laughs> but I've not listened to tool. Um, but funnily enough, I've just got my electric drum kit, loving it. So I'm getting back into drumming. So uh, I was looking into some drumming albums to listen to, oh, and yeah. this was uh, this was on the list. Was it? Yeah. So I've actually enough. just yeah. downloaded it earlier. Yeah. Uh, planning to listen to it. So it's funny that you should bring it up. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I think you'll enjoy <laughs> that. I hope so anyway. The drumming, awesome. the drumming has a very sort of. I mean, it's um, it's obviously rhythmically complex. I can't describe it because I'm not a ver you know well versed in drumming, but uh, I would say it has um, a very tribal quality to it at times as well, okay, which has cool. definitely been influential in post metal. Awesome! Yeah, I'm excited to yeah. listen to it. Great, yeah. Hope you enjoy, I, especially after what you've said about it as well. I've listened to a little bit of Tool, uh, mainly what Michael's given me. Um, the the they sound like a band I should really get into, but it's quite daunting how much music they have. What would you say as a, as a starting point to get someone properly into? What album would you recommend, Michael? Well, it's it's not really um, that they have so, have so much because, as I said, they only have like four major albums. But it's more that they uh, mm. it's more I think it's more the length of them. They're all very long. Yeah. The tracks tend to be. I think this is um, probably as good a starting point as any. I mean, you could you could right, just okay. listen to them in order. Uh, but I think their debut from 1993, Undertow, isn't doesn't have isn't. Uh, I would say it's the weakest of the four, uh, although there are still some um, some of their best tracks are on there. Uh, but I think yeah, okay. this this is the album. I, d I described I've described it before as the um, the phoenix that rose from the ashes of their debut album. So I think that says it as appropriately as you like. And I was I, <laughs> I've, um, I've I've also in, in times I've thought of them because of um, because of the. Um, the thought-provoking subject matter of their tracks, um, how influential they've been, definitely treading new ground over time, and also because of the investment they put into their album releases, the packaging of the albums, which is always amazing, usually. I've, I've compared them to an American Radiohead, if you like. And I always, um, perhaps this is wrong, but I always think if ra if Radiohead were American, they wouldn't be quite as nuanced. And I think that's why the, um, <clears throat> that's why the comparison, I think, works. Uh, I think Tool are very much the American equivalent for me. 
Cool. Cool. Excellent. Um, I'm going to uh, break up the music chat for a minute just to mention a, a glorious headline I've just seen. Uh, <laughs> it just flashed up on my phone. Vic- victory declared over 130-ton Whitechapel fatberg. So, about Boris Johnson's dead. <laughs> uh, I, um, I tried to talk about fatbergs at work once, and I said, you know when you get um, fatbergs? And uh, someone who sits just near me was horrified because she thought I said fat birds. <laughs> oh, yeah, the classic misogynist what, what, Michael Johnson. What uh, is a fatberg? Go on, Alex. Uh, well, what a fatberg is a can eat a build-up of literal fat... Rubbish. Oh, um, in like in a sewer type thing. Yeah, uh, apparently yeah, it was a hundred and thirty ton fatberg in Whitechapel. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> if you had to go into the pipes to get rid of that? That must be a horrendous job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's no horror film being based on this premise yet. Um, there should be. Maybe this will be the first of the new stick around film productions. <laughs> just, fatberg. just call it fat, fatberg. Yeah. Um, shall we? Ha- I think maybe. You know, we'll have the main protagonist as a, an engineer who has to go in and fight the fatberg, um, but but he starts getting you know, um, knock the noxious fumes start you know making him seeing hallucinations. So he starts imagining a personified fatberg. Who would you have doing the voice of the fatberg? Um, I mean, Boris Johnson's not a bad shout. Well, yeah, but that would involve giving him actual money, which he doesn't need, and you know, could, could make me sick. For me, it would be Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed is the voice of the Fatberg, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I can just see. Who locked the bloody door? (laughs) (laughs) Still my favourite bit of Blackadder. Yeah. Yeah, Brian Blessed or Mark Rylance, maybe, you know. (laughs) I reckon that would win an Oscar. Yeah. Definitely. Obviously. Or possibly. Quite a varied performance. Possibly could tempt Daniel Day-Lewis back for one last performance. <laughs> well, Patrick Stewart played a poo, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Sky's the limit. It can be done, yeah. Right, uh, we'll go back to music talk anyway. Um, we'll go head on, over then. to Sheffield. Clive, what have you got for us? Um, well, Michael's just mentioned one of his favourite bands. This band has uh, is becoming one of my favourite bands. I've been uh, listening to them loads. But uh, quite different on the... <laughs> on the spectrum in terms of uh, instrumental capability and <laughs> output. Um, did you say Tool have only got four albums? Yeah. So I've been very careful. Yeah, um, this artist, which I'll reveal in a minute, has 24 studio albums <laughs> having started in the early 90s. Wow. And uh, the solo person in charge of the band has another 14 of his own. So it's over the same so, tag for as well, which is interesting. Is it? <laughs> Sounds a lot like the output of uh, Roy Battersby. You know, just churning out <laughs> albums. <laughs> And uh, who I'm talking about is Guided by Voices. Oh, yes. Who are um, a band that I've been meaning to listen to for ages, but I just haven't really got around to it. Um, it's a band led by Robert Pollard, who's a who was a... I assume he isn't anymore. I assume he makes enough money out of his music. I don't know. They're not particularly huge. But he was a fourth-grade uh, elementary school teacher, kind of like me. Um, he's the, ve- <coughs> the main songwriter and vocalist and... Kind of the only member of Guided by Voices who's been in in it throughout its history, and um, he's pretty much always the vocalist. There is a couple of uh, <coughs> tracks on some albums where another person does the singing, but um, he's you know the main the main songwriter and the main brains behind the project. It's a lo-fi indie rock 
very poppy. Um, I guess they first became well known with their 92 album Propeller, I think. He's probably most famous for the fact that his uh, <laughs> recordings are so lo-fi and the fact that he apparently spent the $100,000 recording budget for Alien Lanes on beer, only spending $10 <laughs> on the actual recording itself. Love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's exaggerated slightly, but... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it's uh, fairly close to the truth. Characteristics of the band are very short songs, usually below two minutes and often less. Um, incredibly lo-fi sound, particularly on the album I'm going to be talking about, um, with a lot of tracks <clears throat> apparently recorded using really cheap mics and with Pollard seeming seemingly having a just complete hatred for any bass. Um, I think <laughs> when he did get some good recording equipment, he asked them to turn the bass all the way down, so it all sounds all sounds quite trebly. Um, there's also quite often no gap between one song and the next, so one will just finish and, you know, you're used to the sort of, you know, three or four seconds silence before the next thing comes in. Quite often the next thing will just come in straight away within a second or so, um, which gives it a really kind of just energetic, slightly attention deficit... Uh, <laughs> A kind of feel to the whole albums, which which I absolutely love. Um, I love how short everything is. And the th- what I'm going to talk about is I'm not talking about all 24 studio albums because I haven't listened to them all yet. Um, but I'm going to be talking specifically about a three album run. Uh, that is B Thousand from '94, Alien Lays from '95, and Under the Bushes Under the Stars from '96. So around the same era as the Tool album you were talking about, uh, yeah. <laughs> Michael. Yeah. Um, which. I think, uh, you know, they're three of my. They've become three of my favorite albums. B Thousand is one of my favorite albums of all time now, um, and I just think it's an incredible run of albums. So, I just wanted to talk about it. So, B Thousand is the one I'm going to talk about mainly because it's my favorite. But I thought about it, and it's probably only because it was the first, uh, <laughs> the first of this fantastic trio that I kind of listened to. So it had that sort of instant, like, Jesus, this isn't really any, like anything I've heard before. And uh, that sort of magical feeling that then the subsequent ones didn't, couldn't quite match through, no fault of their own, um, just because I'd already heard him before. But the, the recording quality is terrible. Uh, there's definitely some songs that don't live up to the genius of others. But overall, I just completely fallen in love with this album. I think, as, as a review I read says, it's, it's like if your mate handed you a tape that he'd recorded in his basement on some sort of, you know, one of those little things that you had as a kid where you recorded your voice on a tiny little tape and <laughs> it amazed you when you played it back. Very colourful things. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to be one of your favourite albums. Um, there's something magical about the fact that something so badly recorded, although in my opinion it sounds much better than people often make out, probably because of the mastering. With you know fragments of songs just plunked on the start of others. There's randomly in the middle of a song, it'll just have some random thing completely spliced in, and then go back into the song. And you know, on in obje- objective terms, it sounds horrendous, but I like it. Um, and just con- loads of seemingly chaotic decisions. Um, it's just amazing that this album can be that amazing despite all that. And um, yeah, if anyone says this would have been better if recorded properly in inverted commas. I'd hit them in the face because um, <laughs> uh, those great chords on, for example, um, there's a lyric, parallel lines on a slow deca- decline, tractor rape chain. Would, uh, there's this, these kind of riff after it which would sound nowhere near as good if it was polished. It's those like strange overtones and untamed frequencies that make it sound so amazing, those frequencies that you're not necessarily used to hearing because they get uh, all the kind of resonance and stuff is taken out in you know studios. And it just gives the whole thing this really intimate and relatable feel that's a big part of its magic. Um, I think the the fact is that Pollard just writes really great songs 
and he he's obviously someone who just gets bored very quickly, which I can totally empathise with. Um, so he'll have this absolutely genius idea and this brilliant chorus, and then that'll be it. And it'll you know he'll have, he'll have come up with a verse and a chorus, bam, that's it, recorded it, never touches it again. Um, <laughs> proceeds on to the next twenty-one tracks of the album, um, and I like that. Just that there's this constant, just like oh bloody hell, that's a great. Um, that's an amazing chorus. It's gone. Next song. Oh bloody hell! I love that verse. And then it's gone. And it's just these like interspersed kind of bits of genius where you're just like, wow. If he'd sat down and turned this into a, you know, a song, a properly three minute, you know, thought about oh, what's the bridge going to be and what's all that, then yet yeah, I think a lot of these could have been radio hits if they were made by you know written by like the Beatles or someone famous. No doubt about it. The, the hooks are good enough. The verse, <laughs> the lyrics are good enough. But um, perhaps a bit too edgy. But I just think that that would, in a way, that would lose it. It would completely lose its magic like that. Um, there would still be great songs, but part of the magic is just this completely, slightly crazy <laughs> recording mentality that it has of so, just sorry to getting plan, everything but, down. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, just, I just think that that gives albums such uh, so much playability. Like you go back to them so often when they're in snippets like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it does. It's really it just it's exciting. Like every time yeah. you can't get your head around the album in one go. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's yeah. not even. You just like oh, that was a great <laughs> bam. The next song's on. There's like twenty four songs, and you're just kind of lost in this yeah sort of a just sea of brilliant choruses and verses that <laughs> that never really. There's a couple of songs that you know go to the three minute mark, but usually it's just a fragment. Yeah. And you and every one of them could have been dragged out quite easily without it sounding kind of tired or anything. But I love the fact that he doesn't do it, and he just—he's just like, right, that's done. On to the next idea. It's just the sort of the birth stage of songwriting, and then he's not bothered to go to the next point of like perfecting it and stuff like that. But I really, I think that's the bit where most of the inspiration comes from. So yeah, that's sort of the bit possibly that's for me the most exciting to listen to. I don't need to hear it fleshed out into a, you know, pop <laughs> ready radio hit. Yeah, I could just hear it. Um, and I think that's what makes this a bit more it makes it relatable it's like if this guy can just do this in this bloody basement <laughs> uh, <laughs> off his, you know just con- just drinking loads of beer and uh, apparently just when he wasn't teaching I, I spent the weekend drinking far too much beer and just recording ridiculous <laughs> amounts of stuff and then he just bunged it all together into this and um, it's just it's amazing that this exists and that it's done you know he's not a massive name but he's done well out of it um, and he's you know quite well known in in the sort of alternative circles, I think, because it's, it's a band that I've been recommended tons and tons of times, so mm. it's definitely not unknown. Um, I won't go into Alien Lanes and Under the Bushes, Under the Stars in as much detail, but I, I think the latter, Under the Bushes, Under the Stars, is really underrated. It takes t- took longer to grow than the other two, but I think it's up there with the other two, and I probably prefer it to Alien Lanes slightly, having um, listened to it a lot. That one has slightly better production, I would say um, a lot of the stuff sounds like it's more, certainly more professionally recorded. Although there's definitely bits thrown in there which totally aren't. <laughs> but he's he, he's very consciously taken out all the the bass and God knows what else to make it sound. It's still got a very unique sound, but it's just everything about the all three albums are the same in terms of they're all snippets of things. The third one is perhaps a bit more. He's probably finished off in a more conventional sense more of the songs. Um, and it is a bit of a longer album for that. I think it's closing on for an hour, whereas the rest are about half an hour, and they've all got about 24 tracks-ish. But he's just he's on fire constantly. He comes up with hook after hook. <clears throat> you never know what's coming next. It's really, really exciting. I'm so glad I found them, and 
I don't. So far, I've been listening to some of their other albums, and none of them are quite living up to these three. But even if none of them do, I don't care because this is, in my opinion, like a really historic kind of trio of albums that stands out as you know something from the '90s that you really, really need to listen to. It's just there isn't really anything that compares to it massively. There's definitely, and there's so you listen to songs that it's like which you'll notice it being like, oh, that sounds like this band, and it'll be a band that, you know, unearthed is 20 years later. <laughs> and it's just like, it's amazing. And it's completely different bands all the time as well. You're like, oh, that sounds really like this band, and that sounds you know, just like Jesus. There's, you know, massive influence, whether it's uh, direct or not, I don't know, but definitely a lot of influence there. And like I've said, there's I've compared them... they uh, to the Beatles a little bit. I've been listening to quite a lot of the Beatles recently and he's got that similar sort of catchy, got the catchy kind of choruses that get in your head. He's really good at those. It's way more like edgy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, he's talking about tractor rape chains, which I've no idea what they are, but uh, it's certainly more edgy than saying, please, please me. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so I just, so, so happy that I started listening to them and I had actually listened to B1000 before, but I just, it must have just been at the wrong time because I didn't, particularly get it at that point but it just clicked this time and I've just been absolutely loving them and I just pretty much just one of those things I think you had it with the Sleaford Mods uh, Michael where I just listened to nothing else for about a month oh yeah I remember that <laughs> it yeah. was just like ah oh, it doesn't really compare next yeah <laughs> these songs are three minutes long I'm bored <laughs> that's what yeah that's what it's like yeah you get into a cycle yeah. with a with an act when you discover them yeah yeah so definitely one that people should check out if it sounds appealing if you're into like more sort of poppy punky i don't know it's not even that pop punk it's quite poppy like i say the a lot of the verses are i think they're quite accessible to be honest if you can get past the a lot of people will listen to it and go jesus (laughs) (laughs) this recording quality is horrendous but uh, if you can get past that i think it's quite accessible to be honest Mm. yeah i might might give that a listen actually you you were quite exuberant about it Uh, uh, michael are you are you too familiar with this no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I would say to the extent that any of their albums are famous, B Thousand is their most famous. It's the one I've heard of and seen mm, yeah. recommended all, you know, all the time. I've never picked it up because I could never find it anywhere. Um, no, it's quite. I wanted to get the CD and it was like ninety quid on Amazon, so I was like, it must yeah, be pretty it's rare. Out of print, so because that happens with vinyl, but I've never seen a CD be that expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, as, as I alluded to, I think albums where there's all sorts going on, uh, sort of fragments of songs within songs and all that, I think they're always really interesting. The description reminds me, just off the top of my head, it reminds me of uh, Skeletal Lamping by Of Montreal, the um, the indie pop, American indie pop band. Oh, I've heard of them, yeah. yeah. Let's check that out. That, that album of theirs in particular is, it, it, you just reminded me of it with your description. Like it's, um, yeah, I think there's about 15, 16 songs, but there's probably more like four times that within each, you know, within each track. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I, um, I mean, the most played album in my um, entire collection, I think, is Suffer by Bad Religion. And all the tracks are like one, two minutes long. I just think when tracks are that are, are bursts like that, you just go back to them so much, so... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, anything structured. You do. Like There's something to be said for not repeating the chorus like six times. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> Um, but the only other thing I was going to mention was uh, I've only knowingly heard one song by uh, Robert Pollard. Although I, th- I, th- I don't know if he wrote it outright or if it was co-written. Um, but it's um, "Stifled Man Casino" by Airport Five rather than uh, "Guided by Voices." Uh, and oh, okay. It pl- Airport it, Five. I didn't know. Yeah, it plays over the um, and anyone listening to the podcast like is going to go you're mentioning Stuart Lee again. Come on. But uh, <laughs> plays over the ending and credits of uh, Stuart Lee's show, forty-first best stand-up ever. Um, and oh, that's okay. when I discovered it, and it's a hell of a track. 
So you, oh, you, I need you, to check that out. You know, you can Airport tell from, Five. I've not heard of that. I think they released two albums. Um, it's one. Oh, cool. It's definitely. You can tell from that that obviously, you know, he's got some songwriting chops. I mean, yeah, he just seems to be one of these completely prolific. Like I say, he's done so many albums, but there's obviously just no stopping him. And I think it's like he'll release it even if it's you know he's written it. He'll release it. He's not bothered with. Yeah, <laughs> he's not always particularly discerning on quality. But I think to be honest, that's what's made these so brilliant. Yeah, uh, just because of I think if if he had been too discerning, he probably would have got rid of some of this stuff, and it's all brilliant. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. So it's like the just, opposite yeah. of Tool, basically. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and there's there's room for both. <laughs> there is certainly, especially with uh, you know, you, you don't have to listen to all twenty four albums. So, yeah, exactly. If it, if it yeah. takes him releasing twenty four albums for three of them to be absolutely amazing, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing is like um, when when an act released some stellar albums like that, obviously, like what you described, even if they've got a big um, uh, you know discography. Um, and none of the other albums live up to it. You're still going to be able to mine them for great tracks. You're going to be able to make a hell of a playlist for that band. Yeah, it? yeah, definitely. Um, so I can think of you know plenty of acts where that's the case. And sometimes you don't want to listen to an album. You just want to listen to the best of someone. Um, and if it the, if it's a really long career, the more the better, really. If the quality is mm-hmm. there. Totally. <laughs> Excellent. Right, Michael, you've you've given us a kind of a well, not really a golden oldie, but you know. Uh, fairly oldie, shall we yeah. say. Um, <laughs> what have you got for us next? Well, yeah, I mean, I said I wasn't going to talk about anything new, which was sort of a lie. It's not a new release, but it is from this year. It came out in January. Um, it's an it's an al- it's been one of my favourite albums of the year. Um, I didn't mention it at all on the podcast. I don't think, maybe in passing once. Um, uh, and I was thinking maybe I would save it for our typical end of year um, sort of thing. But I'm going to talk about it now anyway. Um, it's another change of tone in terms of the albums we've mentioned already. It's um, Culture, the second studio album by the Atlanta hip hop trio Migos, who are one of ah, the cool. uh, yeah one of the hottest uh, acts in America right now. Again, I don't know how well known they are um, here in the UK. That would depend on who you asked, certainly, or the age of who you asked. But they're a band who they basically emerged out of nowhere, more or less, unless you were. Um, familiar with the uh, the trap scene in Atlanta in 2013 with a single Versace and then had a number of um, other hits in the years after that. If they didn't in, um, invent the dabbing craze as well, uh, which is disputed as to who invented that, Migos claim they did, but there are some other, uh, other people who claim that as well, then they certainly popularised it with the 2014 song, Look At My Dab. Uh, so they've had... Um, as well as um, obviously the musical impact, they've had a big cultural influence in the USA as well. I would say the debut album came out in two thousand and fifteen. Um, I thought that was good. Some of their early singles, um, you know, I enjoyed, but I thought it was all very gimmicky. Uh, but on this second album, which just came out in January, as I say, I think they've really struck gold. They're they're supposed to be releasing a sequel very soon, um, which is very quick to do that. Uh, I do worry about exactly how good that that will be. But between um, between the second album and some of the guest appearances that they've made in various places this year, um, I think they've real they're really in their prime right now. So we'll see how good the um, the sequel is. But this first album, uh, it's pretty low on the um, the guest features, but in Atlanta terms, it's got an all star cast of producers. I think Zaytoven, who is a long time um, collaborator with Migos, is um, one of the most notable. He's um, 
it was Gucci Man who said that he'd uh, rather rap on a Zay track than a Dre track, for example. So, you know, he's really got um, that sort of credibility with Atlanta artists. Uh, he produces two um, tracks on this album, uh, spe the, in, especially this, the sweeping, almost orchestral beat to Big on Big, which is really a beautiful production, only rivaled by um, his production on some of Future's tracks, uh, <coughs> also earlier in the year, I would say. Tracks like T-Shirt, I would say, Call Casting, and What the Price, you know, they're all... They're all um, the production feels like it's of a really high standard, and I think they're all brilliant showcases for the charisma and the magnetism that all three MCs in the group have. They are um, Takeoff, Offset, and Quavo. I think Quavo is probably the most famous of the three, although that may change with um, Offset now being in a relationship with Cardi B, who is um, a rapper from New York who probably had the song of the summer with Bodak Yellow which was basically her debut single, or debut single uh, in mainstream terms at least. Uh, but they're all prolific um, solo artists basically, uh, popping up in collaborations a lot. But when they come together, like Voltron, that's when it really gets serious, uh, like on this album. The album features Bad and Bougie, which was um, um, an absolutely huge hit in America, number one on the Billboard, and I think last time I checked had over 500 million uh, views for its its video on YouTube, which is a video that um, I know when I first watched it, I think I watched it about ten times in one night. There's no clear reason why uh, in particular, but it's just such a fascinating video that I've just felt meant the need to watch over and over again. Uh, featuring Lil Uzi Vert, who is another emerging um, artist in America at the forefront of the so-called emo rap movement. Uh, and also the album features um, Travis Scott, um, who ha I know I have. I did speak about his um, his second album on the podcast last year, an album that I would say has only grown in stature with me since then. I think he's uh, he's fast becoming one of my favourite hip hop artists, uh, and sometimes I call him the fourth Migo because he fits into the group uh, perfectly when he guests with them. And also, one of the key aspects of um, the group's appeal, one of the most unique things about them is their use of ad-libs, so they'll, they will regularly, when one one of the three is rapping, the others will close each line of their raps with um, various sound effects appropriate to whatever's been, just been said. <laughs> um, so oh, it's, you. I mean, it's something that Travis Scott has, um, hasn't used in the same way, but the textures, textures of his music have always been very interesting as a songwriter, um, the way he uses melody as an ad-lib almost. I think I mentioned that when I talked about his album last year on the podcast. But uh, Migos have really turned it into an art form. Um, I've never heard anyone do it quite like they do it. Uh, it's for exactly this reason that I'd love to see them at work in the studio. I don't know how they come up with some of this stuff. Um, sometimes, as I say, you'll hear a lot of uh, sound effects of cars um, from uh, from their raps. But sometimes it's um, they'll have little buried jokes in there that will um, bring a smile to your face. Um, or they certainly do to mine. Uh, so they're quite diverse with the things that they do with that style. They're also well known for having um, reintroduced um, the style of um, of rapping tripled up flows, which wasn't really uh, uh, wasn't really that prominent anymore within hip hop until they sort of emerged. And are well known for that style. You know, you know when you're listening to them from the structure of their raps um, and the style that they write them in. 
but they're all, as I said, they're all um, really interesting performers. The album is, um, you know, full of um, of tracks that <clears throat> I would say will stay with you if you're prepared to give this sort of hip hop a chance. And I think it just shows, as I said, that how just how um, ubiquitous Bad and Bougie in particular was. I think it just shows that hip hop continues to go from strength to strength commercially. I mean, you really can't understate how dominant it is as a, um, a musical genre in America at the moment, and that's a key example. But it's definitely one of my favourite albums of the year. It's one of those ones where I know every lyric on it now, I can um, rap along to it. And when you consider how many more lyrics there are on a hip-hop album compared to an average one, I think that when that happens with a hip-hop album, you know that it's um, it's something special. So yeah, I don't think anything particular beyond that to say, but um, yeah, Migos are definitely one of my favourite artists, artists out right now. Whenever I hear that they've released a new track, put out any sort of new material, I'm excited to hear it, which is exactly what I was like with Kanye West, for example, in his prime. Um, obviously, I'm not putting them on that level, but I do think, depending on how their career progresses, they've got the um, you know the potential, with the sort of interest they're generating in America right now, to be up there with hip-hop groups like Wu-Tang Clan, Outkast, and you know a lot of old-school hip-hop heads won't want to hear that, but that's very much how I feel about them. Right, uh, you will not be surprised to hear that I have not heard this, although I have heard of them. I've heard a lot of people saying good things about Migos. Clive, I know you're not always huge on hip-hop, but you can be. Any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I do like some hip-hop. Um, this is one that I want to listen to, yeah. It's uh, top of my hip-hop list for the year to listen to, but I've not got around to it yet, so... You've uh, you've moved it further up the list, Michael, say that. Well, you, yeah, that'll do <laughs> so for me. <laughs> You were very <laughs> eloquent in championing them there, Michael. Definitely, you, and he made it sound like I would like it, so I'm intrigued. If you were to put them into a simplistic soundbite, though, if you were to compare them to another artist, who would you compare them to immediately? Oh, just trying to think. It's difficult because they're a group. Um, and there yeah, I like know great, that. I, great, yeah. great hip-hop groups out there. But I'm just trying to, just trying to think, because you know, it's pure entertainment. You're not going to get the sort of... Um, you know, nourishment that you get from a Kendrick Lamar. Mm. Um, and you're not going to get the sort of hard-hitting politics of a Run the Jewels or someone. Um, let me think on that. I'll come back to you before the end of the podcast. Okay, all right, cool. All right. <laughs> right. Time. While you're thinking on that, uh, Clive, have you got anything else for us? Um, yeah, I've got a... Well, we're speaking about sort of recent uh, releases. I've got a bit of a car- uh, usual 2017 roundup, like I usually do for the last few episodes. Um I'm going to talk about, I think it's three or four albums, just quickly. First up, Iron and Wine, Beast Epic. Um, I love Iron and Wine. This is, uh, it's just so damn pleasant. It's beautiful, relaxing melodies sung in Sam's sort of trademark, breathy style. Make for a perfect late night listen. It goes back to the more stripped back feel of his earlier stuff, um, and it works. It's nothing massively new for him, I don't think, and not the most important album in his discography by any means. Um, I'd go to some of his earlier stuff for that. But um, it's still one of my most listened albums of this year, just because of how much of a joy it is to listen to, uh, which has to count for something, I think. So definitely recommended, if not you know, particularly momentous or anything like that. But a really, really good listen. And if you're a fan of Iron and Wine, I'm pretty sure you'll like it. Uh, next up, Max Richter, uh, one of my favourite artists, a German-British composer. I believe he's a German, but brought up in London. Um, with Three Worlds, music from the Wolf Works, which I think was a play. Could be wrong there. Um, <laughs> as with any Max Richter album, the world kind of stops when you listen to it. Um, I like how it starts quite calmly and eventually seems to get more sinister. 
It's gorgeous, melancholy. It's a gorgeous kind of melancholy instrumental journey, just as you'd expect, really. Nothing more in terms of uh, what you'd expect from Max, Max Richter and certainly nothing less. So, again, recommended if you're a Max Richter fan or, uh, you know, just into if you're into classical moody music, then I think he's one of the best sort of classical composers around at the minute, even though, you know, I haven't listened to Lowe's, I have to be honest, but <laughs> I do love him. I think he's fantastic. Uh, he makes a lot of film and TV show soundtracks as well. Next up, a band called, I believe you pronounce it Paris, even though it's P-V-R-I-S. They're a bit like churches uh, in that they've decided to put a random letter in the middle of their name. And the album All We Know of Heaven, All We Need of Hell. Um, it's a great mix of sort of alts, evanescency style rock and a more sort of electronic synthy sound at times reminiscent of churches I've just mentioned Uh, they know how to write catchy songs with massive choruses I like the vocals and the songs are strong throughout nothing new here in particular but a very well kind of executed album for someone uh, after some powerful kind of soaring alt rock which uh, there hasn't been that much of this year so if you're needing a fix of that then this is the one I'd recommend and next up I'd be curious if uh, Michael's listened to this because it sounds like it would be up his street Brockhampton with the album Saturation not Saturation 2 I've not got around to that yet although I have downloaded it this is an accessible uh, entertaining and incredibly kind of fun rap album I'm not a huge fan of the lyrics on a couple of songs but overall I really enjoyed the way uh, this way more than I expected to got some seriously good hooks uh, great beats and all the different rappers play off each other really really well so yeah really promising i'm excited to listen to the second one which is the second release in one year so pretty prolific i believe they're uh, they met on a kanye west forum really it may, <laughs> uh, may well be the one that i used to moderate on because there, uh, there weren't many any well, there were none any bigger than it uh, so that's what was that called that was called kanye talk then it became kanye live later Oh, I don't think it is that. All oh, right, because that doesn't ring. That doesn't ring a bell. But okay. have, I'll have a look. The um, uh, I've seen a lot of praise for them, but I haven't listened to them. Okay, cool. Yeah, it sounds like something you'd like. So, yeah, I think so. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, last one that I'm going to mention is Slow Dive with the album Slow Dive. Uh, it's beautiful. They're kind of like a. I've not written what they are here, but they're a shoegaze, I suppose, if you're going to put them in a box, that's where you'd put them. Uh, it's beautiful, it takes you away for 50, 45 minutes, then drops you back into harsh reality later on. Uh, it does this time and time again and kind of has yet to get old for me. So it's, yeah, really, really recommended. I'm a big fan of it. Again, it's not something I'm listening to and going, oh, wow, I've never heard this before. It's not a guided by voices situation where it's blowing me away. But um, I really, really like it and it's just a really good, again, a really good late night listen. That's something I'd put on in a day. I think there are specific albums which are nighttime albums. I don't know if I've mentioned before, Radiohead's Kid A. Oh yeah. Uh, it took me it took me ages to get it, and then I listened to it at night, and I was like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it. I just was listening to it at the wrong time. Yeah, and now it's one of my favourite albums. But yeah, this is definitely one of those as well. Not the same, but there are uh, there are some albums I only listen to when I'm hungover, bizarrely. <laughs> I can imagine really? that. Okay. Yeah. April any, uh, by Sun, uh, well, April by Sunkill Moon is one of them. I don't know why. It's quite. I okay. think it's just perfect for sort of lounging about, uh, doing nothing. You know, focusing in on the songs. See, I'd want something quite soothing if I was hungover. I'd. Um... I'd say that is. Yeah. 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 I, think I mean, one of my favourite albums there uh, is very. It's kind of, It's Max Richter's uh, Sleep, which is eight hours long. Yeah. So it has to be a very specific <laughs> time. Like you'd have to have the day off and not have any plans. Uh, to be able to listen to it but it's brilliant but and also be willing to feel 
pretty sad for eight hours. But if you if if you're down with that, then definitely check it. That's one I think I'd quite like to listen to. Hungover, actually. I don't know if it would just yeah. t- tip me over the edge, mm. but <laughs> 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 maybe one worth trying. But um, yeah, if you've not listened to that and you've got you know some essays to do, I'd recommend banging that one on because it's an eight-hour epic. It's just brilliant. It's brilliant. He's, I think he recommended that you listen to it while you're asleep, but. Yeah, I think that was the idea of it, awake. wasn't it? But, uh, I mean, yeah. I don't think that would work. <laughs> I'm a sceptic. certainly wouldn't be that excellent. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, that's that's the roundup of stuff that I've... I've been listening to tons of stuff there, the kind of highlights since last time. I've yeah. also been listening to loads of Beatles, and uh, what was the other band I've been... Uh, I've still been on the kind of Bowie, but um, I'll probably do a Bowie section at some point. Um, I've listened to most of the ones I want to listen to now, I'm on... Man who rules the world, man who ruled the world. Bing bong bong. Post edit Clive here, I have to interject even though I currently don't have my mic plugged in and this one's terrible. It's the man who sold the world, you idiot. Not the man who ruled the world. Back to normal. Bye. Oh yeah, it's a, it's it's a good album, I mean. that one. <laughs> Underrated, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it, yeah. I've like, you know, I've loved most of the stuff I've listened to, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I've been Clive. Are you, are you a streamer of music like Spotify or Apple Music? Or? Yes, I pretty much live off Spotify um, because yeah, for me it's brilliant because I can I just mean, search whatever, download it onto my phone, and then listen to it. I mean, I know Michael's a fan of the physical disc. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, see, I got duped into buying Apple Music. Um, I got it free for a few months, right? And I thought I'd cancelled it in time, but then it came off my bill, so I complained about it, and then they reduced the price. And I thought, well, you know, I'm sure I can get that much use out of it. And I am I am seeing that I'm listening to it quite a lot. It is, you know, when it's only like a tenner or less than a tenner in my case, coming out of your bank each month, it seems like it's easy to get value for money out of that. I mean, I'm interested to see whether you'll ever go to streaming, Michael. Well, not streaming, no. I mean, if I can't get something on CD, I buy, I've been buying it uh, on online, you know, non-physically. Yeah. Uh, streaming it just uh, it isn't for me but I don't see the appeal really I mean for me it's like I pay I mean well basically it's a cost thing if I if I listen to every if I paid for every album I listened to I'd be spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds a month uh, whereas with Spotify I'm paying £10 a month and then I can just buy the ones that I really like mm. and also I can what I've loved what made me get it is I saw it where a friend had it a, a year and a half ago or whatever and showed me that you could just have because I, I was like, well, I haven't got enough data, so I can't stream stuff anyway. Um, but you just download, find the album when you've got Wi-Fi, download it, and then you can listen to it whenever you like. So I just have the ten albums I'm listening to it on my phone, listen to them, get rid of them once I've finished listening to them and stuff, and then I end up buying the you know the ones that I really like on CD, yeah, which saves me tons of money because well, and hassle because then I'd have to sell the ones I don't like. <laughs> I don't know. I just find it more for me. It's a a, g- a good method and if you know if I'm having a poor month and I can't afford to buy the CDs that I've really liked I can still listen to the stuff I think most people who buy CDs yeah I think most people who buy CDs now do that you know they just they do have a CD collection but they buy albums that really you know take the fancy whereas I'll, yeah, I'll totally. buy them on CD without having heard them so I guess that that's the difference really mm. yeah sure <clears throat> but I can totally see like the appeal of having something physically but I yeah. like the I like I just love that I can read something that's recommended like now michael said he uh, recommended me the migos album and it wasn't near the top of my list to get but i can literally just download it now and listen to it in 10 minutes yeah 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 <laughs> uh, without paying a penny if you know what i mean well any extra than i'm already paying and i think it's 
in my opinion, it's more value than... I think if you watch TV shows, then Netflix is similar value, but for films, like... Because there's literally one in maybe 20 albums I look for that aren't there. Most of them are there, whereas pretty much every film I want to watch isn't on Netflix or uh, anything else. A TV shows, maybe that's different, but... When I said I don't see the appeal of streaming, I mean, it's probably bad phrasing because it's, it's my I don't see any appeal in it for me. You know, I can see why... Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think I should. Um, I think I should mention what um, friend at work how how he described vinyls recently. <laughs> Go on, then. You know them big CDs you used to get. <laughs> Which cable was it? That sounds sounds like sounds like the start of a Peter K performance. <laughs> yeah, it does. Do you remember <laughs> them big CDs? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get the vinyl thing. So you know, everyone for whatever. I would rather get the CDs because they seem to be more practical in terms of size, and uh, we'll just—I don't like the fact I have to turn stuff over that wasn't designed to be turned over halfway through. I could see—I could see the appeal with '70s albums, but with modern ones, in my opinion, it kind of ruins the flow. I think it's just the um, the artwork, isn't it? I think that's the main. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just got—I haven't listened to it yet. Great but, um, I've just got um, the new album by uh, the Seattle funeral doom band Bellwitch. Yeah, um, Mirror Reaper, and it is undoubtedly the album cover of the year if you look it up. And I mean, it would look amazing in a big vinyl, um, yeah, you know, package. But you know, I've got it on CD. But that's that's where I think the appeal comes from to a great extent with the vinyls. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, like have it up and display it type thing. But I'm less bothered about that. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Alex. But yeah, yeah. Why don't you qu- quickly pass comment on the gig we went to? Right. Yeah. Me yeah. and Mike. Well, funny you should say that, Michael. I was about to bring that up. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, me and Michael uh, went, finally, uh, for me at least, went to see Sleaford Mods. Oh, so did uh, I recently. But anyway, you yeah. go. <laughs> uh, well, we can all pass comment then. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we went to see them at uh, Northumbria Uni. It's quite, it quite a strange venue, but um, quite small as well. I understand smaller than their last gig, from what Michael says. Uh, but extremely enjoyable. Um you know, you've got an ex- an acerbic mix of political uh, humour, anger, and um, you know, if you know Sleaford Mods, they sound identical live to the how they do recorded, and um, the passion that gets put into the performance is unbelievable. Uh, the lighting behind um, behind the band kind of exacerbated the, the what I call the Triple H effect uh, during singing, <laughs> where you could see like a continuous. Uh, spray burst of saliva while um, the lyrics were just being absolutely volcanoed into the <laughs> microphone. Um, I mean, if you, if you were sitting in the in the front row, you would have got quite the shower, uh, but nobody seemed to mind. Um, the only negative part of the gig for me and for Michael was the fact that there was a couple of people stood near us who just seemed to be wanting to have a conversation during the gig, and we're yeah, thinking to ourselves, you know, you know, you just paid what twenty quid, twenty five quid, whatever it was, to go and see a gig, and you just st- stood there having a chat. You know, what's the point? You could have done that anywhere. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's even more bizarre than talking in the cinema, uh, to me at least. Anyway, well, it's more expensive. Yeah, definitely more expensive. Yeah, <laughs> and less practical because it's probably noisier in a gig. So, yeah, yeah. Um, how, how did you find them, uh, Clive? Um, I absolutely loved it. I think it was obviously. Did I see the Wonder Years this year? I think so. That's going to be my favourite gig, and it's not going to be top. But this was easily my second favourite, and I think I agree with Michael that they're the most essential British band around at the minute. They're just so 
Yeah, I just thought it was like a really passionate. I don't think you're going to get any more passionate as the performance that he gives, and yeah. <clears throat> I think the way that he basically carries it all on his own. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, the other guys there, you know, pressing his buttons and stuff and bopping <laughs> 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 around, and I think that definitely is cool. <laughs> but um, he's basically single-handedly keeping the audience in check with just just his voice, and it's not even singing; he's just rapping these excellent. No. Yeah, I really, really thought it was brilliant, and I love how he. I think he is the genuine. He has this genuine not give a fuck attitude, which isn't I don't give a fuck because it's cool. Oh yeah, it's, it's I don't it's give a fuck because I actually don't give a fuck. Because <laughs> he, he danced some of his moves were just like ridiculous, but in a way that you're like, brilliant. He's not doing that to be cool. <laughs> yeah, because it totally I mean, isn't cool. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, at the but, end of the at, at the end of the gig when he he, uh, he said thank you for coming out and spending your hard earned money, that's not something that's unique to him. But I got the impression he genuinely meant it. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, there's, you know, that's a man who knows the value of a pound as such, <laughs> and he knows that his fans are not typically going to be, you know, affluent people. Yeah, totally. I mean, how was it for so, you, yeah. Michael? I mean, I know your opinion, but you may as well express it. Yeah, it was just as great as last year, and obviously they played every track except one from the uh, new album, so that was different to last year, and also some other diff- a bit of a mixture of different ones otherwise from last year as well. So that was great value for me. I remember last year. Um, <laughs> I can't. I'm, I may be paraphrasing slightly, but this was more or less the gist of it. They played Fizzy, which they didn't play last year, which I think is probably their angriest track. And um, I remember at the end of the uh, preceding track, whatever that was, I can't remember. Jason got quite into it. Then uh, he introduced Fizzy by saying, "Sorry," and he said, "A lot of fucking twats about, aren't there?" Then he went, "This, <laughs> this song's about a fucking twat," and then just burst into it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was great, and um, yeah, and uh, this year, like the fact that they said they came on fifteen minutes earlier, so we could go to the pub afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that was appreciated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then they said uh, they said no offense to the uh, staff here; they've been great, but I personally, I'd rather go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, Excellent, oh. and definitely recommended. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Right, uh, it's about that time when we make a... Oh, before that, I've got, an, uh, I've got an answer on the Migos thing. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm not going <laughs> to explain it at all, I'm just going to say it. Like, UGK on a drug-addled voyage to the moon. Okay. <laughs> right, like that, that's going to go on the next album cover. Uh, <laughs> there we go. There you go. Okay, uh, so th- it's about that time when um, we make a time-based joke. Um, I'm trying to think of one on the spot right now, just to keep Clive on his toes. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be time related, actually. It could be bath related, couldn't it? Yeah, it could uh, be. You could think of also. You got a plethora of topics to go for. Yeah, I mean, Clive, if you were looking to engage in some vigorous anal sex, oh Jesus! But, but you put your bottom. <laughs> But your this bottom, isn't the route that I wanted you to take. Uh, but, you know, just your ass wasn't complying. It was just, you know, <laughs> clenched. Um, what time might it be? <laughs> oh, God. I suppose it'll be plug time. At Stick Around Cast on Twitter. Stickaroundpodcast.com on the interwebs. Slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook. Slash Stick Around on Patreon if you want to throw some money our way. Keep the lights on. Keep our website hosting costs, which keep going up. Um paid for 
That's what I'm after. Slash stick around podcast on Instagram, I believe. Stick around podcast at gmail.com if you've got any questions and things you want us to answer. We'll, we'll look at your email, we'll answer it. Um, as long as it's a good question. No, we'll answer it anyway. Or just send us some love. We'd love that. And give us five star or one star review on iTunes, not in the middle. We want to polarise. Yeah, definitely. We want to be a polarising podcast just because it alliterates and I like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that about covers it. Get, it is. Subscribe on your podcast apps. Tell your friends to subscribe on their podcast apps. If they don't know what a podcast app is, tell them what it is and where to get it. Because I've, I've been telling some people, like, what's the podcast? Like, where have you been? What is wrong with you? You've not lived. <laughs> it's radio, but better. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, um, I think we'll be back next time with films. Um, I've got a good few to talk about as well. Michael, Ooh. will you be joining us? Yeah, I'll certainly try it. Yeah. Indeed. Clive, have you seen much film related for next time? Um, it's actually been a bit of a dead time, but I'm sure it's. I've seen some since last time because it's been a while. Um, I've meant to catch up over half term, but I've been mainly watching NFL. Fair enough. It. Fair enough. <laughs> Which I've enjoyed, it's got to be said. Right, thank you very much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time for films. Yes, thanks for coming. See you later. Ciao. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick Around. You want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. <laughs> I've used that one last time. Speaking yeah, of farmers, think... right? Yes. What? <laughs> Where's this going? What would possess you if you had a tractor? To drive it down a busy main road during rush hour. <laughs> um, Just being a massive hilarious. It took dick. me about ten minutes longer to get home tonight than usual because of that. <laughs> Did he I think have if it? I was a farmer, I would revel in doing shit like that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I pro- I'd probably paint the troll face on my tractor as well. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't just do it with the tractor either. I'd get the most ridiculous piece of machinery I could and just fucking go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.